Hey there, longtime fans and first-time stands. You're listening to Big Facts No Cap, the only show that's number one with broke boys and their first edition, super rare original prints of their favorite toys. Big Facts. No. Cap. Big Facts. No. Cap. No cap. Big Facts. No. Cap. Big Facts. No. Cap. No cap. No cap. What type of thread count are we talking about on your pillowcases, Adrian? What do you insist on? What's the bare minimum? What's the bare min? Well, the bare min's obviously one. For you. One would you walk out of somebody's <laughs> house? You'd be like, I'm not even gonna sleep on this bullshit. Yeah, probably like a probably like an eight hundred. I don't have an eight hundred shit, bro. I feel embarrassed now. What are your threads coming in at? I don't know, I think like six hundred. What? Paul don't love himself. Paul, you spent a third of your life sleeping. You shouldn't skimp out on your, your thread count for your shit, bro. That's true. That's true. Bedding material, shoes, and what's the other one that people always do? Chairs, I think, that you sit on for Chairs, work or something. Chairs, yeah. You should, you should spend obscene amounts on all of that bullshit. Do you believe in any of those? I've, I know we've made fun of it on previous episodes. I think it's silly, but I don't know if we've heard the Adrian opinion. Do you believe in like one of those things? Or a toilet paper, because I don't know what the rationale is for that. You definitely mm. don't have an inordinate amount of time using toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, you spent about a third of your life. <laughs> you spent about a third of your life wiping. <laughs> Not even just the act, but <laughs> just the cleanup afterwards. I sort of believe in it. I have a I have an okay mattress that I like dropped a little pretty penny on. I did um uh, Tin called me out for it for being scammed, but I did specifically buy a mattress that was supposed to have like nice cooling, like air wicking technology that's supposed to keep you chill because I'm a very hot sleeper. And uh, let me tell you what, can't really notice a difference, but it is a nice mattress. Nice. Yeah, I I just got a really cheap IKEA one because I know I like a firm mattress and mm. I feel like all the really nice mattresses usually advertise themselves as particularly fluffy. Mm-hmm. They they all want to tell you about their memory foam and stuff. And it's like, I, I, I like some support, you know? I don't really want it. I don't want to sink into my mattress, so I didn't mind just getting a cheaper one. Mine actually has a, a flip, so you can there's a, a firmer side and a softer side, and I sleep on the firmer side. Oh, nice. And how about- I specifically said in the instructions, it was like, if you're over this weight, you should probably use the firm one. Otherwise, you're just going to sink straight into the soft <laughs> one. Just like straight into the middle of it and not be able to get out. And you don't want to know what's on the other side. It's some Narnia bullshit, man. <laughs> you can't recommend it. It does void the insurance <laughs> if you do that. If you travel into the sleepy time realm where everybody's wearing little nightcaps and trying to serve you a warm milk. Um, anyways, I'm going to show you Phil's uh, birthday present that I'm going to send him this this week. Cool. So I know for a while he was in the market for a light blue baseball cap, so I got him a little cap from old Roostaller, the farm colt. Oh, cool. Nice little five-panel dad hat. Do you feel like shopping for me and Phil is just uh, exploration and hats for you? Yeah, it's fun because I never wear them, so I never even think about them. <laughs> But then when I was thinking about Phil's birthday, I was like, oh, you know what? I saw this at the farm cult the other day, and I actually think it's a cool-looking hat. Plus, like I said, he's been looking for something in this color for a long time. I didn't get you a hat for your birthday. You didn't get me anything for my birthday. You re- you learned about it on pod. <laughs> oh boy. Getting called out. And I got you a beautiful pair of shorts for your birthday. Do you ever wear them? I still wear mine pretty often. I love them. I do, yeah. I will say this. I think I would wash them with the knot and the waistband tied. 
And I think that started to wear out. So the waistband broke. And so now I can only wear them fully like, you know, with no extra tightening. So there is a little it's a little touch and go at times. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I do still wear them. They still fit fine enough. But sometimes they just start slipping down a little bit and everyone gets a little too excited. Let's let's get into it. Let's get into some real content. Let's get into some real making content type shit. Oh, yeah. I watched three episodes of The Bear on Hulu. And I see what you're talking about. Great show. Highly recommended. Hey, there you go. There you go. Pretty good, right? The characters. I'll tell you, it's like the characters. They're so relatable. They're so... Re uh, no, that's not really what makes that show. I don't know if any <laughs> of the characters are relatable to me. People get mad about her a little bit in that episode, the underwater episode that I was telling you about. Um, I think rightfully so. They did a weird thing with her character. Same thing with uh, the, the pastry chef guy, the guy who makes the bread. I like him a lot, but they also do a really annoying thing with his character in that episode, too. And then, I will say, the... Uh... The brother, the main brother who used to own the restaurant, Michael's best friend, or like cousin mm -hmm. in the show. Is he supposed to be the manager? Because I really can't tell what his job is. The only guess I have running right now is he's just unpaid asshole who just sits around the shop. Every restaurant has one in Chicago. <laughs> I'm like, what does this guy do? It literally seems like he just walks around trying to sabotage things. Like, I get that you need like something to push the plot forward and create conflict, but it seems like his mm -hmm. only job at the shop is it to cook serve or do anything it's just create conflict i think later in the show you see him work the register but i think you're right paul a little hint if you see someone at a job and it looks like they're doing nothing they're probably a manager am i right folks sometimes it's hard to invent conflict and they do need to sometimes create it in a way that make you go come on that was like somebody would like somebody mm. would back down before it got to that level mm. there's like a uh Season one of Seinfeld, uh, Jason Alexander asking about George's character or whatever. <laughs> yes, that was a uh, George or uh, Jason Alexander didn't know until like a few episodes of filming that in. it was meant to be uh, David. Yeah, and so he went up to uh, Larry David and was like, "This no one would ever do this in real life." And he was like, "I did. That's what this is based on." <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what bit that was because I've heard the same anecdote from Jason Alexander. It's in the season one DVD extras. You know, the first time I learned about Chet Hanks was in a Jason Alexander interview on Sway, where Sway was, because he'd done a movie with Chet Hanks' mob, Sway was asking Jason Alexander if he supported or did not support Chet Hanks saying the N-word in his rap songs from like, I don't remember what year this was, like 2015, <laughs> I did not 16. know about that. That's dope. What did he say? <laughs> that was the year I learned about Chet Hanks. I was like, Tom Hanks has a son that... <laughs> that the one that is in I remember, I remember starkly Jason Alexander's response was, well, good luck to that young man with that. You know, we have Rita Wilson uh, come yeah. by. Have you, have you ever heard her son's music? You know, her son's a rapper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she told me this just yeah. the other day. <laughs> yeah. I have to say, I have not been privy. Do you have a track? Oh, nah, man. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm not. I, yeah, you know, this guy has been in the news for uh, just defending the use of the N-word. So, uh, uh, oh, 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 really? Yeah. I'm assuming Rita's son has a complexion like mine. Yeah. Is that what that yeah. 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 And he's defending the, the use, use of the N-word. Well, a... I wish him luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get it either, man. <laughs> You could tell he was just like flashbacks to the Kramer controversy. Oh, geez, that is true, isn't it? Just him going, yikes, that's not going to work out for that Chet Hanks fella. And look who's on top now, Jason Alexander. Nobody even remembers who you are. And it's White Boy Summer. No cap. I don't know if you remember this, 
but I think it's so funny because looking back at it as someone who's in academia now, it's clear that like education researchers were trying to push certain new ideas and like new definitions. So there was the time in sixth grade where we got a lesson about bullying and like a little workshop where they specifically defined bullying as um, repeated harassment from another individual. And so everyone was like, oh, see, so everybody gets one. <laughs> so like, as a sixth grade class, we were like, oh, everybody gets one chance to make fun of somebody. And then after that, you just can't do it anymore. <laughs> Otherwise, it's not bullying anymore. And I remember telling that to somebody when I was in uh, grad school, and they were just like, yeah, I don't think we use that definition anymore. That's such a bad definition. <laughs> All right, Paul, you said you had a media roundup? No, I was saying, do you? Uh, I-, I talked about the bear. Uh, I don't think I have anything. Maybe I will next week. Uh, Tin's really trying to get me to go watch Thor Love and Thunder with him, so... I might have to go do that. Ooh. I know you love yourself some Taika Waititi. Mm-hmm. I'm either, either going to do that, or I'm going to go finally check out the bats that are migrating through uh, Sacramento. No cap. If Taika Waititi is the modern-day uh, Joss Whedon, who's the modern-day Francis Ford Coppola? Uh, Sofia Coppola? Because she's his daughter. It's like a Russian doll. Yeah. Not Nick Cage? No, I don't really see that. He's a Coppola. Coppola? Oh, is he? Is he related to the family? He changed his last name so he didn't get that nepotism benefit or whatever. Just the class benefit. Oh, and probably the nepotism benefit. I don't think people who <laughs> I don't think people like who know you. That's crazy. I didn't know that. That's wild. Yeah. Little little FF for the day, little fun fact. That's so cool. And Paul, can we end this segment with this? You're my national treasure. Oh, thank you. Because when I needed you most, you are hard to find. I'll tell you what. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> that's no treasure. It was hard to find. Otherwise, it would have been a short film. That's why That's why it was a feature-length movie. <laughs> I don't know. I think if you could wrap it up in two and a half hours, that's not that bad. That's not too bad. We should rewatch that movie. We should do National Treasure as a theme sometime soon. <laughs> when I told Phil what the theme was for today, he was like, Oh, yeah, you guys have been joking about that. They're like, you guys are going to start doing that soon. At what point are you guys just both on pod going to kill yourselves? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Phil. You know we would probably hit that point at different times. You think you think it'd be like a where the red fern grows type thing? Talking about national treasure, some people think that movie is good. And to some other people, national treasure is trash. Mm. Which brings us oh. to... One man's junk is another man's national treasure. <laughs> One man's trash is another man's national treasure. And that is our theme for today. Yeah, I don't know if it's one where we have a lot to say off top. I, I I, don't think I do. I'm trying to think. One of the avenues by which I tried to find an article was that uh, I looked at garage sales and yard sales and uh, flea market advice columns, which apparently are not super common. But uh, I feel like that and oh, and uh, pawn shops. And I feel like those are kind of like the epitome of one man's trash or whatever you know stories of someone going to a thrift store actually i, f- I follow the uh thrift store hall subreddit and specifically that is like a thing where it'll be like i checked out these earrings they were six dollars at goodwill i looked on the back looked up the name on it and they're worth a thousand dollars or whatever like it's that kind of stuff either that or just like people getting luxury set like that cookware brand is like super coveted you know stuff you know stuff like that yeah, yeah. Cookware is a big one where people love to tell you about the savings they got on a uh, good one, good sets. Mm. I guess there's also the other meaning, not of like misappraisal, but of like one person has a use for something that another person doesn't have a use for. So like, for me, like insulin, I wouldn't even use that shit as mouthwash, you know, but for you, it saves your life, Adrian. <laughs> Give me a gross mouthwash. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that is one of my favorite jokes that Charlie will do sometimes. Is like we'll go out to like pop, like during our lunch break when we were working at the lab, we'd like go out to Popeyes to Dixon to get lunch together or something like that. And he'd, I'd be taking my insulin afterwards. He'd be like, "Hey, let me get a little hit of that. <laughs> like I eat a lot of carbs in my meal." <laughs> There's also the time where I brought like I went to the um student health center before I came in the lab, and so Charlie uh, is walking by me. So I pull down my car window, and he just looks at the brown bag next to my seat, and he's like, "Oh, did you bring in donuts today?" And I was like. I would call this the opposite of donuts. This is my anti-donut juice. <laughs> um, and apparently anti-donut juice made him laugh a lot for the next couple of days. I miss Charlie, man. I miss Charlie. What else? What else have I considered treasure that people think is trash? Oh, well, you know what? I'll count it. I'll allow it. But watch yourself, Adrian. Um, people who don't like the fatty part of steaks. Always like eating a steak with Dora Lee because she won't eat the fatty parts. And that's all for me, baby. Well, it depends on, like, there's, I don't know, sometimes there's, like, fat that's good, and then there's sometimes fat that's, like, chewy bullshit. It just needs to be properly rendered. Well, it needs to be properly rendered. That, rendered. That's why people don't eat rare steaks sometimes, because you have to get it to uh, at least a medium rare for the fat to cook. Hmm. But if you have any person who, I don't know, like, pizza crusts are less of one, where, like, I'm not trying to, like, fish for other people's pizza crusts, but there are foods like that where people will just, like, leave uh the be- some of the best parts behind yeah, I mean, wings are a funny one for me. I, it's so funny when yeah, you see a white person Yeah, I was going to say that, but I was wings. like, I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, say that I'm going to go back through someone else's wings. <laughs> oh, yeah, no way I'm trying to finish somebody else's wings, but it, I do get, like, a visceral, like, upsetness. Like, just order something else, then. Don't order a food you're just, only going to eat. Just get a boneless wing, then, yeah. Like, one-tenth of. My cousin's wife got a, got really bullied into starting to eat her, clean her bones or whatever, I guess is the phrase, <laughs> yeah. from eating wings with my family. I think people should be. That's a real childish behavior to like have a flat and not eat the be in between the flats. Mm-hmm. No cap. Can't remember the last store I went to that was having like a we're going on a business sale, but I feel like I've definitely taken advantage of that before. Doesn't it because of like car dealerships and stuff? Do you always just kind of assume it's a scam unless like you actually yeah, know for sure? Hundred percent. Yeah. Why are they allowed to do that? That feels like it should be illegal. Well, isn't it just the narrative that like they did the sale and it somehow put them back in the green to like keep going or something? Or oh, okay, the sale was so good. <laughs> We're open yeah, for another yeah. year until we do the sale again. I don't know <laughs> the narrative, as if that's how the IRS decides or like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Well, it'd be like, what would it be? The Better Business Bureau? Who has who who takes charge on whether or not you're allowed to do a going out of business sale and then not go out of business? I don't know. Uh, well, the Better Business Bureau is, isn't uh like that's not a government it's just agency. A review site. Yeah. yeah, it sounds official. It does sound very official. Uh, I don't. They know. shouldn't be allowed to do that. <laughs> I don't know who in- enforces marketing laws. Now that you said that, I feel like I know the agency, but it's just on the tip of my tongue um could you imagine if there was a law that bands weren't allowed to have farewell tours unless they were actually breaking up i would actually really love that i'm so tired of rappers announcing their retirement to sell an Mm. album yeah logic yeah you piece of shit bobby tarantino more like bobby liarino yeah also for once i'll do one of my own stand-up jokes instead of one of phil's stand-up jokes uh do you think fans ever see it as a red flag when an emo band goes on a farewell tour That's very silly, Adrian. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Am I right, folks? Talking folks. about one man's trash being another man's treasure, let's talk about your taste in music. Trash metal. Is that a type of metal? No, thrash metal is a real thing. I did have multiple people uh, refer to the type of music I listen to as like garbage screamo or whatever. 
They'd be like, yeah, I like this song that you showed me, but the rest of it's just screamo garbage. Well, AG, this is why you shouldn't try to befriend 80-year-old men. No, just like weirdly conservative white people in the <laughs> South. One that I'll say that I am on the probably, not the wrong end of, it's all subjective, but I'm on the more pompous side of, um, reality television. That is one of those things where I just, I, I don't really like most of it, not a fan of it. Usually people just say it as a guilty pleasure. I've had multiple white women try and convince me that I'm uh, like objectively wrong or like that the show that they like is like an objective, interesting look into the human condition or whatever. And it's like, no, it just sucks, man. I'm It's fine if you like it, but at least be one of those like sheepish uh, guilty pleasure people. Don't be one of those people that's like, actually, it's the height of human of humanity to watch The Bachelor. Adrian, once again, I don't think we want the smoke with the Bachelor fans. That's hey, on you. Come at me, come at me, bro. That's on you. Come I'm, at, I'm not hey, willing to Scientology, say bad come about at me with every lawyer you have. <laughs> I feel like there's a good example somewhere in my head, but I can't think of. I'm trying to think of more physical. Um, yeah, like to a disabled man, a wheelchair is treasure, but to me, that shit's trash. Exactly. No, I definitely didn't just mean the more, <laughs> the more like actually you would go through the garbage to find something that most people throw away because you're like actually cell phone batteries are very good if you reuse them or whatever. I don't even know. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I just uh actually so two two things. One, I just sold my car, and because I didn't want to deal with like getting it smog checked and getting it re-registered and finding someone to buy it, I just sold it for parts. So a very one man's trash is now someone's treasure. Uh, and very much on the um, yin yang side of that, I also spent my Friday at the uh, pick and pool in in Sacramento looking for a car part that I needed. So literally just going through, it feels like a desert. I don't know why, because it's just like a huge gravel field with cars just, you know, put up on like brake drums or whatever, um, or tire rims or whatever. And you just like go through and I was looking for a part. And so anytime I saw a Nissan, I was just going through it and I was I don't know. It feels it feels post-apocalyptic for sure. It just feels like the beginning of a movie where like I'm in a dark cloaked hood, despite the fact that it's like 100 degrees out and then just going through with these like little wire snippers that I have trying to find the right wires that I need. That's cool, though. That sounds fun. Uh, I don't think anyone who's not anyone who's taken care of in life will never have to do that. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it as like a fun thing to do. Wait. Question. Yeah. Are they watching you while you're doing this? And how, does it cost based on what you pull out? Or is it like a time thing? Is it like a shopping spree thing where you have 30 minutes to get all you can grab? You see, for safety reasons, you want to wear something with like a steel toe. But because I, I knew I needed to go fast, I wore my running shoes. And I was just <laughs> zip, zap, zooming. <laughs> um, no, you pay $2 to go in. You can take however long you want. And then you just pay for whatever you take. And they have prices for everything based on what you're taking. Gotcha. So I paid 5 bucks for a pigtail, which is like their generic term for like a inserted... Uh, wire or whatever do they have any rules about what you can take in with you um not really because people will take like full toolboxes with them because you need to you know be able to get to certain parts of cars and stuff like that so you're saying i could get a baseball bat in and live out my dream of just breaking windows and going ham on some cars for two bucks yeah well i think i know what we're doing when i visit you <laughs> The other thing that kind of makes it feel post-apocalyptic, maybe this isn't, maybe that's not right, the right category for it, but they do write on the cars, because a lot of these are, like, from crashes and accidents, uh, whether or not there's biological blood anywhere in the car. And so they'll, like, have bio blood written on them, and you're like, oof, I'm not going to touch that one. But yeah, literally the example of one man's trash, another man's treasure. People going in there getting all sorts of things, car doors, car hoods, 
let's move into articles. All right. Okay, we're bringing in good old mommy Caroline Hacks. Step on me, mommy. Dear Caroline, my boyfriend and I are arguing about presents. He loves a bargain and is always drawn in by 80% off sales and fakes. So he buys, if you'll excuse the expression, crap. Written with the at symbol for the A. What adult is too scared to write the word crap yeah, like it's a horrible curse say, word? You're like, excuse my French, but... And then just using asterisks for the entire word. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'd prefer plain earrings to big, flashy, fake pearls and stones. I'd prefer one nice to no-name leather handbag to ten fake Gucci's. I'd prefer one small item from the skincare line I use than a huge set of cheap stuff that smells awful and makes me itch. I buy him what he wants, but then he buys me what he wants too. Since this is just a total waste of money, last Christmas I looked at the pile of crap and suggested we stop exchanging gifts and just go out to dinner and buy something for the house. Especially since I was going to get another load of crap for Valentine's Day. He said, what will people think? <laughs> When he says people, he means his family, because he's always bragging to them that he got me a designer bag and diamond earrings. <laughs> Even though none of it's real, I'm so mad that he's more concerned about looking flashy than making me happy. Or am I just being a shallow B-word? But wait, wait, just to make it clear, she wrote B-word. <laughs> Man, dump him, honey. No, actually, like, usually I'm not a dump him sort of person, but this guy does sound like he's- Well, actually, no, 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 wait, I'm already changing my answer. This guy rocks. He's too good mm. for you. He's too good for you. That's why I dump him so that you can free him up for a better person. <laughs> Dude, I love this guy. <laughs> I really hope his family sees through it, too, and he's just, like, trying to brag to his brother, who clearly does better in life, and he's just like- that's a really nice pair of gold earrings you got your wife. Uh, I just got her these massive pair of diamonds, but they're just like comically large glass. <laughs> <laughs> costume pieces. They're costume jewelry. Yeah, I got my wife 10 Gucci bags for Christmas. Frank, you work at a car wash. How the <laughs> fuck did you do that? <laughs> I know a guy. In fact, it's better than Gucci. You got three C's in there. You pay extra for that third C. Gucci. I just noticed that she says crap with the at sign three times in the uh, art in the question. <laughs> I will say, despite how totally cool this dude is and how he's a total catch, there is something about being a fucking like Reverend Lovejoy's wife from The Simpsons where like something in your relationship happens and her his first instinct is to be like, well, what will people think? <laughs> in this completely private matter between you and me about our relationship, what will people think? <laughs> On top of that, his apparently refusal to not just buy her what she wants. Also, I don't know. It's it's. I find buying jewelry for someone to be one of the most daunting things. Yeah, I don't. I don't do it. And if anybody wanted me to do it, I think I'd be a little bit like, yeah, I, I would have a real hard time pulling the trigger because I would never want some. I don't really like it when people try to guess what T-shirt I would like. Mm. like I know what I yeah, like. Yeah, that is true. I don't want to make my parents feel bad, but they got me a shirt from Amsterdam, and it's, like, just not well-designed and also uncomfortable. It's like, what what were you guys thinking with this one? Some materials that just sit on me heavy, and I know I'll never end up wearing them, and I'd rather not be wasteful. And that's why I feel like with earrings and stuff, I wouldn't ever guess what earrings somebody wanted. Like, yeah, as I don't want any sort of gift that I put on my body, I probably, I try not to get that for other people, but who knows. And yet you bought me a shirt for Christmas. 
Yeah, but that's different. That shirt was adorable. And you bought me shorts for my birthday. Oh, that's true. But we you're giving me a whole outfit. We're looking at the. We were looking at those shorts together. Yeah. Oh, you also got me a scarf. Shit! All you I give, do is you buy you. Me, <laughs> you've given me ninety-five percent of a full outfit so far. <laughs> okay, but also the scarf is very clearly more a piece you put up in your house, not actually to be worn as a scarf. I wear it to the bar. Well, you've just proven me wrong, haven't you, Adrian? When Italy beat Spain in the Euro semifinals, I held that thing up like a banner, shouting with the other Italians at the bar. The other Italians, <laughs> including me. I was honorary. Okay, I will edit the sentiment to be that if I buy people clothes, it's not like a trendy or pricey outfit. It's a novelty piece of clothing. Yeah, it's not something I would really brag about. Like, I'm not going to brag and be like, hey, I got Phil a Wico sweater because I know he likes that place a lot, not because it's like the most expensive sweater I could find. Yeah. She did describe the gifts as tacky. I want to know how obvious it is that they're fakes. Is he like almost at a diluted level of like he's getting her like jewels so big that mm. it's obvious immediately that it's fake? Is she doing like a childish Gambino where she's got her Adidas on and she's whiting out the fourth stripe? Is she all about Tom's and he's getting her a Bob's? Yeah, I feel like if he if they say they should buy something for the house, this guy's got, gonna come back with a really ugly fake Pollock. He's gonna be like, it's just as good. Who's gonna be able to tell? And he's like <laughs> covered in paint. He's like, this one was painted by an elephant. We don't even have to pay it for its labor. <laughs> Is that a thing? Has somebody done a, a Pollock with an elephant? Uh, 100% sure. I think I watched a Ted Ed video where they were talking about the debate over whether or not it's art if an elephant can do it. And their conclusion was, well, like, you know, Pollock did it first. So that's why it's still like commendable that he did it. Which, I don't know who wrote the script, but I guess that's a fair enough point. I think it would- I would pay more for the elephant one. I think that's more of art. Yeah, I think that's hard. Did anybody make that argument in the video? No, it was very biased. <laughs> it was very anti-elephant. It was very anti-elephant. It was- I think it was because it was made by an elephant called Donald Trunk. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've Can been on record elephant with a little before. With a little gold wig <laughs> named Donald Trunk. <laughs> We gotta build a wall, folks, because the little white mice are coming after us, folks, and those are some bad hombres. <laughs> All right, that's one of the fun facts we know about elephants. Now do one about how elephants never forget be and Donald Trump. I would like to, on this very special day, 9-11, never forget, because I'm an elephant, to even the haters and the losers, wish a wonderful day. All right, now do Donald Trump talking about how they're one of the only animals that bury their dead. I, Donald Trump. And the least race, racist person you know. I will bury an African elephant. I will bury an Indian elephant. I don't see the difference. Okay, I've run out of elephant facts, I know. <laughs> I think I'm out too. <laughs> Alright, that was um, that was my character, Donald Trunk. <laughs> uh, that'd be if his vocal cords were more elephant. <laughs> that was my really... Um... Well, stay tuned, folks. Donald Trunk might be back for a very special third segment. Yo. Alright. Anything else, Paul? I mean, I don't know. Like, real real talk, real talk. There are other guys out there. No, I'm being honest. I usually don't say break up with the person, but this sounds really obnoxious. Like, they didn't even do the thing where they were like, everything else is perfect, it's just this. It seems like this is just the one thing she's willing to write into, <laughs> write in about. Yeah, she did not make him sound good in any way. It honestly sounds like they don't like their boyfriend. There's something really sad about the fact that she 
so explicitly knows that it's because he wants to brag to his family. Oh yeah, we didn't even touch on that part. It, it sounds like she thinks he's lame, right? There's something because I don't know if I said that about somebody, it would be me basically saying that I think that person is corny and sucks. If I was like, I know the only reason they do this is so they can brag to their family. It could also come off as it could come off as compassionate, where like he's considered the loser of the family, and so it makes him feel like a big man to be able to get his. Uh, girlfriend these kind of presents i still don't i feel like if your girlfriend's saying that about you man she pities you like i don't know is that really like a good dynamic for a relationship is one person pities the other and thinks they're a loser hey sometimes if you're trying to swing up you gotta just that's the angle you gotta play <laughs> fair enough and i know you're always trying to swing up at the short i pretended to be in a wheelchair for like nine months <laughs> for a relationship all right you want to hear the answer to this one nah i'm good <laughs> Why would you be mean to Caroline like that? What's Caroline going to say that I don't already know? I looked into the eyes of God and all I saw was fear. If she started like that, that would be hard. I don't see why he's the one not listening to you or caring what you like, but you're the one who's in the running for B-word honors. Just know. How explicit have you been about your frustration with his stubbornness, for example? Him. What will people think? You. Why do people matter? I'd like to know you're buying a gift from me with my style and taste in mind, not buying it with your mother's taste in mind. That seems kind of basic. Or just your great line during one of your still arguing moments. I buy you what you want, but then you buy me what you want too. I don't mean to suggest clarity will solve anything. It sounds as if he's not capable of seeing past his own ego here. But the approach to any particular tenacious problem should always have this as step one. If you haven't been utterly direct yet, then be utterly direct. Step two is what you're doing now, the offering of alternatives that would bypass the problem entirely. That's good, but if he rejects the go-out-to-dinner idea but is still open to change, then maybe you can shop together for the things he brags about giving you. At least I'll give you say. Step three is resignation. That's when you recognize that the crap he buys you is his gift to himself, in the form of perceived bragging rights, and he's not budging, so letting it go and letting him do it is your secret gift to him. Assuming- oh, that- that sounds like a real recipe for resentment to me, to decide that you're yeah. taking the high road and letting him do this. Because then you're never- like, every time you get him a gift and then he gets you some shit you don't want, you're gonna be upset. Yeah. Being a martyr is never well, a good idea. You're just going to grow to resent the other person. Either that or then you make it a two-way street of contentment where you just start buying what you want for him, which just makes it all... Just do the do step two. Just go back to just go, go and go to dinner. Do that instead. Assuming that you want to stay with someone who can't manage even with explicit instructions to care what you want. From there, you focus on minimizing impacts, wasting money, junk and landfills, enabling counterfeiting... Enable <laughs> counterfeiting. Yeah, I really care about that, Caroline. That's one of my main goals in life. I, I would hate to be a counterfeit enabler. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, well, anybody think of Gucci's bottom line. I actually heard that originally Ashton Kutcher, before going into human trafficking, was like, I'm equally focused on counterfeiting and I can't figure out which one I want to do. <laughs> which one <laughs> which I want to focus add. on. <laughs> you could just choose one thing that would make me happiest and hope for the best. In closing, I'll let Nick the cartoonist have his say. From here, it looks like you have the cheap knockoff version of a boyfriend. Except this one can get very expensive. Amen. <laughs> Alright, we ready to get into your column? Alright, so I interpreted this as more of a relationship thing. So this is from our dear friend, dear Prudy. 
Prudy Giuliani. Help, I broke off my engagement. Now my friends keep setting me up with losers. I just don't get it. By Eric Thomas, the latest iteration of Prudy, June 9th, 2022. Here we go. Dear Prudence, Why do my friends always seem to set me up with the biggest losers they have lying around their lives? Last year, I broke up with my ex. Our wedding was postponed due to COVID, and instead of being disappointed, we were both just so relieved. It obviously wasn't a good sign, and we ended up making the postponement a cancellation. Now I'm back on the market. I'm a catch. Maybe not one to write home about, but I don't think I'd be thrown back in for the seagulls to pick over. I'm presentable, socially functional, and solvent. Dating apps have turned up a pretty standard ratio of good dates to disasters, with men who are not walking red flags. Yet, whenever one of my friends tells me they have a guy I have to meet, it's either someone who brings his mother on the date, a man who genuinely looked me in the eye and said Patrick Bateman is my idol, or an active alcoholic. No shame on his problem, addiction issues run in my family too. But an addict with no plans to sober up does not strike me as a good match for anyone I like. I just don't get it. Do I seem so desperate that I'll take any man with a pulse? Do they feel pressured to help me find someone and just don't have any better options? Have I thrown off table settings by no longer having a guaranteed plus one? Do they just want someone to fix these disaster zones that are in their lives, and I look like I'm the one to do it? I'm not. I suppose I could ask my friends, but it's not exactly nice to describe someone in their social circle as an inveterate loser and chronic creep. And it's not even the men who are the problem. They might all have it in them to make someone happy. I just don't get what my friends, who should know me the best, who think that that someone would be me. Flea market dates. Uh, So yeah, this is very much in the category of people and relationships, and even though I don't think it's a good way to describe people, uh, one man's trash being another person's treasure, where she acknowledges at the end of her uh, question that these people might be a treasure to someone else, but to her, they are trash. Did you send me- oh wait, you did send me this article. Uh, What age was the question writer? 74 <laughs> uh they don't say that's very important information i to me that's crazy to imagine anybody over the age of 22 describing themselves as patrick bateman or bringing their mom on a date yeah that just seems it would all like if she was doing the whole like they their peas one at a time i'd be like that's crazy of her but like her examples of odd behavior were pretty foolproof i can't really blame it on her standards you can tell that she's not like gen z because none of them said Jordan Peterson is my idol. <laughs> um, that's true. But <laughs> just like, yeah, I love that. Bringing your mom on a date is objectively odd behavior. I don't know how you wouldn't go to your friend and immediately be like, the fuck, he brought his mom on a date. Yeah, it feels very 90s sitcom. Because that's, I think, the thing that I most associate with setting people up. Like, have you ever been set up on a date? No. Have you? Uh, I, I once joined a friend for a double date, and so I got, like, you know, I just had her friend as my date, and it was kind of weird. And? Very awkward. Wasn't a fan. Yeah, it's one of those things where it seems like it can only exist, like you said, uh, in a 90s sitcom. It's, it sounds very friends to me. I do resonate with the fact that it's a hard topic to bring up because these are people from their lives. It's not like Bumble dates that are going bad, and you're like, oh, I'm so tired of Bumble, I'm so tired of Hinge, it's all, like, shitty dudes. It's like, hey, here's a guy I know from work who I think's a cool dude. You should go out with him. And it really does feel like a pointed thing from your friends where they're just like, come on, dog. We we can't keep making reservations for nine people. No restaurant has a nine-person table. We need ten people. <laughs> and so you can't bring up just like, you guys are giving me these scrubs, dog. 
Yeah, but once again, bringing your mom on a date's odd enough that you can bring it up. I think that's not like mm. it's, it's, there's certain behavior that really transcends normal behavior that I feel like you can definitely talk to your friend and be like, "That was weird." I don't want to name names, but Paul, are there any friends that you have who you genuinely like and they're good friends of yours, but you would you would never like send them on a date with someone else that you? Oh, one hundred percent. I think ninety percent of my friends are absolute weirdos. Really? Yeah. God damn. Okay, I didn't realize Paul was de- hanging with the circus, thinking about all the baristas I couldn't set up on a date with Justin because, well, you know, that he would have acted creepy. He would have told them <laughs> his hero was uh, Jason Bateman. Mm-hmm. Jordan Peterson. He heard another grad student say that, and he thought it was a smart thing to say. (laughs) Do you think the question asker, and this is completely based off the fact that the image they decided to pick was a Getty's image with a black woman, do you think this is one of those things where they're just setting her up with, like, she has a particular identity, and they're just setting her up with any guy with that same identity, so it's just like, Mm. it's just like she's a black woman, they're just setting her up with any black guy they know? What would be another one, like an identity where people would be like, oh, yeah, we're just like, I I know somebody else who's maybe she is a particular religion. Like, imagine if you knew like a white Buddhist, if I met any other white Buddhist, I'd be like, you two should date. Seem like a perfect match. Adrian, if I ever met a Guatemalan cutie, you know, I'm getting her number for you. Thanks, bro. I'm trying to keep trying to keep the ethno state pure. But do you think there could be like, maybe she even has one really particular interest that's super unique like maybe she's like a rock climber she's really into something like that and they're just like setting her up with any person they are you know. trying to get me to set you up with dorley again is she into rock climbing it's one of her new things yeah <laughs> really <laughs> that's pretty cool that's a really good full body exercise i think there's potential for that she should rack her mind for if there's any like connecting factors between these men the other thing that might be really popular in that is like Oh, she works a weird job where she works the graveyard shift, so she needs someone who also works that kind of job, you know? Or tall people. Um, or short people. If you're a specific height, I feel like people try to set you up with other people that height. And what people don't understand is, like, I'm trying to, like, climb on a girl, you know what I mean? I'm trying to be a mountaineer <laughs> discovering every crevice. Adrian wants to start at the bottom, and he, has, he wants to work his way up to the kiss. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is like, my only connection to this is TV because I just don't go on like a whole bunch of dates. So I don't know. Blind I don't dates are, uh, I guess like every date nowadays is like a weird mix of a blind date and not blind date because now with the apps, it's like, yeah, you don't, you haven't met the person before, but you did specifically pick them because of their personality and like public profile. Mm. So it's not as blind as a blind date was in the 90s, but it is more common to not know somebody and go on a date with them nowadays. Yeah, I would say do that. Like, ask these people, like, I'm sure you guys are setting up the time and place over text. Chat with them a little bit over the text. I mean, I guess so. But the easiest thing to do here, obviously, is to ask specifically for high value males, right? (laughs) HVMs, baby! Well, maybe she's not a HVW. You know she has to get up her high value woman status first by, uh... She's a pygmisha. Yeah, she's a pygmisha. That's why they're setting her up with these LVMs. Low-value men. She needs to get on female dating strategy, which is hard now that they shut down the subreddit and only opened up the website. You just gotta pay for the subscription. You just gotta pay for that subscription, baby. Which is worth it if you're trying to find love. It's definitely not predatory to tell people that they're gonna find love from following your (laughs) advice. (laughs) And then your advice is mostly to... Be transphobic. (laughs) To be transphobic and break off all relationships with family and friends who don't tell you that this new cult you joined is cool. 
So we can, can't make fun of The Bachelor, but we can make fun of female dating strategies. <laughs> yeah, she needs to text these guys more beforehand. Whatever line of communication they got to set up the restaurant date and time. And if their friend is doing that, you need to say, no, let me just text them for that. And then you need to like uh, do a little bit of a over-the-text uh, personality test. Just like chat with them a little bit. See if uh, there's any chemistry. I have two ideas. All right. So one is a famous advice column that we probably should have done at some point, but we never did. But it is that advice column about I go on too many dates. So the thing that I did is I invited 20 guys who I matched with on Tinder to just all come to the same cafe, like within the same hour. So I could just like speed through them. So you could do that. Or two, Paul, do you have any advice on like certain types of dates that are very easy to like end as soon as you need them to end where it's like, oh, we're going to go for a walk. And so it's like, it can be 10 minutes in and you can be like, all right, well, that's enough walking. Let's, let's, you know, it's not like a movie where it's like an hour and a half you have to spend with the person or like if going to dinner and it's like two hours you got to spend with the person. Even if you know in the first five minutes, you're like, this ain't going to work. Well, two things on that. I know friends who have done this and I've done it in the past, which is a drink state can be ended at any time it needs to be ended. Well, don't you usually get the uh, 64 ounce drink? You usually get the uh, big chug? (laughs) Yeah, I usually buy the novelty boot of beer. (laughs) (laughs) On my date. And he's like, you're not going to leave me to drink this alone, are you? <laughs> no cap. Do you think there's room for, now that we've had Hari Kondabulu and the anti-Hari Kondabulu, do you think there's room for a middle Hari Kondabulu? I'd have to imagine, because I like that's one of those things is like, people are like, you have to have Hari Kondabulu or you have to have a Kosh Singh. And it's like, I want someone in the middle, man. <laughs> I feel like, you know, maybe it's just me, but I don't trust either of those people. <laughs> yeah, I, want, I, I think want, what we need is in the center. I want an Indian guy directly in between both their opinions. Yeah. I want an Indian dude who, like, wants universal health care, but also thinks that, like, the British had a net positive impact on India. You know what I mean? If you really <laughs> look at it, they made the trains. Is that something Akash Singh believes? It kind of sounds like something <laughs> he would say. <laughs> it, he probably does say that. I don't know. <laughs> what an ass. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about his comedy or his beliefs you introduced me to him but it feels like the type of thing i would have become obsessed with hating on my own just a real rabbit hole yeah <laughs> i mean his special is like 20 minutes it wouldn't be hard to get through yeah and honestly a lot of it don't have to like pay attention a lot it's it's not like difficult material yeah, yeah it's kind of like how phil and i have been uh trying to follow the uh controversy around brendan schwab the ufc fighter who became like a joe rogan um yeah fighter and the kid what isn't he one of the hosts of fighter and the kid maybe yeah i don't know he does a stand-up special that again is like 25 minutes and uh i sent phil a video of a com- youtube commentator talking about how bad it was and then he sent me like an hour-long video of someone talking about all the drama about him being a shitty person and people in hollywood hating him or whatever but that makes sense he doesn't have a very cool seeming uh attitude yeah the one joke that phil and i often repeat from his special that gets clowned on a lot is he talks about how his wife is a, a mexican but like a real mexican not like a you know american mexican and he's like so she's been showing me like all this like mexican food that like n- authentic stuff like pico de gallo carne asada <laughs> it's like you can get that at any restaurant <laughs> and he says it like that too it's so fucking funny so like phil was going to get chips and salsa from public today when i was on the phone with him you're gonna go get some pico de gallo <laughs> dude i gotta watch a stand-up i didn't know it was that stupid oh my god dude it's so fucking funny anything else on this question or uh we good we got into some little uh nooks and crannies on that one <laughs> did we give her advice 
You said all of them have a couple of good qualities. Maybe you should start a harem. Hey, Paul's making the co- the Paul is making the case for polyamory. Would never thought I'd see the day. Mm-hmm. Well, I've turned around on this issue, brother. Damn. I was going to bring in a poly question, actually. And then I decided, I was like, it's a pretty basic relationship question. It's pretty straightforward. I think Paul is just going to rail against polyamory the whole time. So <laughs> Jesus Christ, you make me sound like a bigot. <laughs> I love polyamory, man. I've come around on it. I am polyamorous now. Hey, my brother coming out on pod. Mm-hmm. But we each get type, one. The type of polyamory where <laughs> you only get date. one. <laughs> where you <laughs> each get one. <laughs> <laughs> the type of polyamory where you're in a uh you know a, a relationship with one person a, a devoted single person relationship <laughs> is that one of those things where every square is a rectangle like technically monogamy <laughs> is polyamory but just without the extra partners <laughs> yeah i'm like one of those edgy atheists that's like i believe it you, you know how just one god less than you <laughs> yeah you know how polytheists believe in 100 gods well, I'm, well, to them, you're an atheist. I just believe in one God less than you. <laughs> That's so cool. <laughs> I like this new stance that you've come out as. Yep. I'm polyamorous. <laughs> and, you know, you have three partners. Well, some people have hundreds of partners. I just have two less than you. Checkmate. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. Or would that be something an insult would say for he has zero partners? He's like, people think they're such hot shots. <laughs> With their girlfriends. But polyamorous people have tons of partners. I just have one less than the average guy. What I'm saying is that incels are like the atheists if God was a girlfriend. Does that make sense? What if God was (laughs) our girlfriend? (laughs) That would be kind of cool. I bet he gives crazy head. Hitting that gussy on the regular... (laughs) What if God was our girlfriend, just a slut on the bus? Only do anal on December 25th, it's their birthday. (laughs) Wait, why would you expect your girlfriends to do anal on their birthday, Adrian? Well, I you can't make a common sweeping statement about what everyone else's birthday is. That's the, the joke had only one way to go. And yes, I think it's disgusting and deviant, so they have to force me into it. Oh, okay. Somebody's been reading their FDS. Oh, is that also a part of their ideology? Dude, I should send you the tweet. Yeah, the one where they're like, if a guy has done anal with even one girl, you should never blow him because his dick will never be clean again. <laughs> They're just they're just the character <laughs> Nick Kroll does in uh the league. Forever unclean <laughs> That's tight. That's why they're also really biphobic, right? Yeah, yeah. Well if men are bi, uh women are right, right. Uh, women are allowed to be. That's cool. They're like the hip hop community in that way. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Have I read the answer yet? Should we we read this answer? We're having fun, folks. All right. At least this is a very short answer. It can be really disorienting meeting the people our friends think we would hit it off with, but it's not necessarily a referendum on our own worth or the worth of others. Matchmaking is a skill, and frankly, most people don't have it. Even if their intentions are good and they know you well, they're probably not putting that much thought into setting you up. 
And this isn't a callous thing. It just means that they're not looking or thinking that deeply about what it takes to make a happy couple. When it comes to friends, we often overlook or forgive the things that we wouldn't in partners. So your friends may think that these guys are fun, interesting, what have you, but they're not spending two hours having dinner with them one-on-one. I don't think it's about you or about the guys. Let's assume that your friends have good intentions but are bad at setting you up. In the future, it's probably in your best interest to tell them you're happy being back on the market on your own. No more setups. Yeah, I think she's right. Don't take it personally. These people are not, like, explicitly thinking about this that much. I think Prudy makes a very good point that we didn't make, which normally doesn't happen. Usually we hit everything by the time we've talked about things for an hour. Yeah, it's totally different to be friends with somebody and then to be with a partner with somebody. Like, there's so many things that I probably overlook in my friends where I'm like, well, I'm not, like, married to them. Who gives a shit if they do this or whatever? Yeah. So that's that's a, that's probably a huge part about having the skill set of knowing who would actually get along in a partnership. Mm-hmm. Like Adrian is a great friend of mine, but he eats his peas one at a time. And if we ever went on a date, mm. that would be a big problem. Adrian has man hands. And I'm like, what sort of man has man hands? You know, they're natural and they're all real. <laughs> all right, Adrian, are you ready for our third segment? I think we all are. Yeah. All right, one man's trash is another man's treasure. So we're going to evaluate the biggest thrift store, the 20 most incredible thrift store finds. Ooh, okay. So this mirror is what I was saying in the beginning. Yep. The 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 challenge for you is to get it within 20% of the appraised value after I tell you what the item is, how they found it, and uh, what they purchased it for. Okay. So are any of these how they found it going to be like an archaeological dig, or is this all just I went to Goodwill and found something? (laughs) They're literally all I went to Goodwill and found something. (laughs) Some of them actually don't mention that, so I'm sorry for the ones that don't mention that. Uh, But they do all have a little story with them that's kind of interesting. So more than being a quiz, there's also the benefit of this. A narrative component to it. Yeah. There's a lot of IRS form. There's a lot of little great stories. I am going to say, I think it's the... uh, it's like the main compulsion for watching shows like Antique Roadshow and Pawn right. Stars is basically there's something in our brain that lights up when we see something kind of cool and interesting and then get to see a big number next to it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully that'll light up that part of your brain for some of the audience. All right. Okay, first off, we have a Zachary from Columbus, Ohio. In 2012, he came across an old Wait, post. Zachary from Columbus, Ohio? Yeah, Z- Zachary Bodish. Zachary Bodish. I was about to say, that, that was almost Dorley's boyfriend, like, to a T. <laughs> oh, okay. His last name wasn't Bodish? No. Oh. It's Bleep. We should probably stop saying people's full names on the pod. <laughs> he found a old poster uh, in 2012 of a Pablo Picasso art exhibit. A poster for a Pablo Picasso art exhibit. Uh, thinking it was a cool reproduction, he bought it for $14. Um, after looking closely at some red markings on it, uh, he realized he had a signed Picasso print. Um, can you get twenty percent within 20% of the value that uh, it was evaluated at? I like how this is you just trying to prove me wrong from last episode about my theory that signatures don't add values to things. I feel like <laughs> this is you just really hitting that home. Also, $14 for a poster at a, at a thrift store... A little overpriced. This guy really took a risk, I feel like. <laughs> that being said, I bet the actual price is $2,400. It was $7,000. So you are not within 20%. I'm in the bottom 20%. 
No. I just kind of wanted to see if that would work. <laughs> know what I said. All right. Next up, we have an art dealer and collector, Laura Stouffer, enjoyed uh, nosing around secondhand stores. In 2007, a visit to a shop in Somerville, South Carolina, hey, she found a represent. print of a painting from the mid-1800s. Uh, she bought it, took it home. It doesn't mention what price she originally bought it for. But behind the art and its cardboard backing was an original movie poster for All Quiet on the Western Front, the 1930s movie. Can Wait, you what? Get- yeah. <laughs> Why did they list her credentials and it ended up being like an accidental thing anyway? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she insisted to be part of this article. Okay, so it's the movie poster for All Quiet on the, All Quiet on the Western Front. From when? 1930. $16,000. I have to do the math. Um, No, you are not within 20%. I bet all my money on this game. I bet all my money on this game. I'm ruined. (laughs) Sorry, it was $20,000. Your $16,000 does not put you in 20%. I'm starting to realize by doing the math in my mind that 20% is not that much. Did I do that? 10% would be $2,000. 20% would be $4,000. Wait, no, that means I was in $4,000, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, you're, you're right in there. You get the point. Oh, thank God. My children can eat for one more day. All right. One point for Adrian. The couch was its own art collection. A German student was literally sitting on a fortune. Should I read the jokes they included in this article? Yeah, those are good. Uh, uh, in 2006, she bought an old sofa bed at a flea market for $215 in Berlin. <laughs> Once again, uh, this is about finding a secret a secret valuable thing inside of another item. When she yeah, finally I'm pulled start tearing out- stuff apart whenever I buy them from thrift stores. <laughs> Once she finally pulled out the bed, she found a painting inside. The Kunstkettler auction house told the Associated Press the work was preparation to escape to Egypt, painted by an unknown artist in the early 16, 1600s. So, do you want to guess how uh, expensive that painting at the sofa was? Painting in the sofa. What was it from? 16th century? Yeah. I don't know if this is true, but it feels like we're going on an upward scale. So I'm going to say 30,000. That would put you within the range of 20% because it sold for 27,630. Are you going to make the quiz really easy by admitting right now that it is on an upward scale? What? No. Um, Okay. So we have a real diamond in the rough. Um. Sotheby's in 2017 auctioned a diamond ring that the owner had bought decades earlier at a London junk sale for $13. Who's paying for all these things in Europe with dollars? <laughs> Maybe they're converting it. Maybe uh, do we need to check the price of dollar to euro conversions from like 2000? No, because that messes up my 20%. Also inflation. I don't even... <laughs> Due to the low price of the ring, the buyer had always assumed it was costume jewelry. Once having it appraised, she realized that the 26-carat diamond cut in the 1800s was worth how much, Adrian? Diamond cut in the 1800s, bought for 13 euros, or pounds, 50,000. 455,000. No points. Oh, okay, all right. Are you skipping around the article now? Was <laughs> going in ascending order? Billy the Kid did a photobomb. Mmm. Uh, Randy Guajaro, Guajaro was looking through boxes in Fresno, California curio shop in 2010 when he discovered old 
when he discovered old tinpie photographs that he bought for $1 a piece. After recognizing one of the figures was Billy the Kid and that the other members of the photo were Billy's gang, one of the only two authenticated pictures of Billy the Kid in existence, it's been appraised for how much? 400000 Ooh, no. Sorry, you're not within the 20%. 5 million. Oh, Jesus. It was cold weather in it was cold weather that best feedback that it was cold weather that drew best feedback into a North Carolina Goodwill in 2012. She stopped to buy a blanket on the way to an art show where she planned to sell her own work. At the shop, she happened to notice a few paintings selling for $10 each and purchased them, thinking she'd paint over the large canvas but a friend recommended she do her research first. When she did, she was surprised to learn that one of the works was Vertical Diamond by 20th century abstract artist Ilya Balatoweski. Balatoweski. The painting eventually sold for... 20th century artist? That's 1900s. I know you're bad with that sometimes. You go 20th century, that must be... Yeah, I think that's a projection right there. 80,000. Sorry, you are not within the 20%. That was $35,000. You know, the thing is that I value art. I really I really believe art is just the most valuable thing we can make in this world. And so for me, that's priceless, but I can't say that for all of these. An Australian shopper found a personal holy grail of sorts in 2013 upon buying a strange-looking cup for $4 at a thrift store. Due to the uniqueness of the cup's design, the buyer decided to look into its origins. Upon seeing a photo of the item... Thusabes revealed that it was a 17th century libation cup from China that had been fashioned from the horn of a rhinoceros. The lucky buyer sold it at an auction for... 7th century? Yeah. 17th, my apologies. 17th, okay, okay. Which I know you're bad with that. Sometimes that would be the 1600s, not the 1700s. Make me translating. Because if it was the 1700s, I'd be like, oh, maybe 25 bucks. But if it's the 1600s, I'm going to guess 2... Point two million. No, seventy-five thousand. <sighs> okay, to make it easier, I am gonna go back to not jumping around <laughs> the article. Oh, okay, you were jumping around. God damn it! Okay. <laughs> ah, now I feel so bad for you, though. It's so hard. So from here on out, you're gonna know that it's just gonna get higher. A British woman named Thea Jordan. Brought a sparkly brooch in the equivalent for the equivalent of thirty one dollars in two thousand eleven. She bought it to be a cool addition to her four year old daughter's toy box. What I love about that is you know they're already wealthy because who else is buying thirty one dollars single piece jewelry for their four year old kid? <laughs> I saw the Hope Diamond at the thrift store. <laughs> the girl well, wore the kids jewelry use it as a soccer ball. The girl wore the jewelry to school and on errands, and no one thought much about it. The family assumed it was a costume jewel surrounded by fake diamonds, but an appraiser, an appraiser spotted it while Jordan was having her engagement ring valued for insurance. Turns out the jewel was a royal gem once worn by a Russian tsarina. Jordan was able to sell it for... And this one, I'm going to give you two points. An extra one if you can guess the stupid way Jordan spells her name. Um, so we're moving up from, I guess I don't have a reference value. This will be my reference value starting from now. I'm going to say 2 million, 3 million, 4 million, 5 million. And I'm going to say J-O-R-D-Y-N. Wrong on both fronts. It was 43,000. And it's J-O-U-R-D-A-N. Sean and Ricky McEvoy loved picking out cool vintage clothing to sell online. 
One day in 2014, they picked out an old West Point sweater in an Asheville, North Carolina. A lot of these sales were made in the Carolinas. Hey, represent SC Stand Up. For just 58 cents. After discovering it had some moss damage, Ricky decided to keep the sweater and fix it up for her husband. Later, the two of them happened to be watching a documentary about legendary football coach Vince Lombardi and noticed he appeared to be wearing the same sweater. Sure enough, the Mickey voice found Lombardi's name written inside the sweater. They got it authenticated and sold it for... Also, this one I will also give you extra points if you can guess, if you can guess the dumb way Ricky spells her name. <laughs> so judgmental. <laughs> uh, what was our last value? It was 43000 Yeah. I'm going to guess 60,000. I'm going to guess Ricky is spelled Rick E. Oh, okay. It's R-I-C-K hyphen capital E. No on both fronts. It was 43,000 again. And Ricky R-I-K-K-I. The Flemish find. Whoa, so many of these are from the Carolinas. When an 81-year-old former antiques dealer known only as Leroy spined up spied a painting on sale for $3 at a South Carolina Goodwill. It was the frame that first attracted him. He could tell it was made in the 19th century and wondered if the painting inside could be just as old. His daughter-in-law took the piece to Antiques Roadshow, where Leroy's instincts were surpassed. It turned out the painting was a 17th century work of Flemish art. At a 2012 auction, it fetched... 80000 Ooh, sorry, $190,000. Ah, it's a big leap. Sapo, that's a big leap. When Robin Darvell bought a, bought a box full of old junk at an auction in England for around $46, he didn't think much of the postcard-sized painting inside. He tucked it in a drawer for more than 10 years until passing it along to his son, Rob. I love that his son is probably named Robin, too, but going by Rob as short for Robin is a great move. Some people just think you're Robert. Yeah, yeah. Intrigued by the faint signature on the back of the landscape, the younger man decided to uncover its story. His curiosity paid off in 2013, when father and son learned the painting was an original work by early 19th century artist John Constable, worth over... $250,000. Wait, worth over? Worth over a dollar. <laughs> Damn it, technically you're right. <laughs> uh, 250000 Okay, I can tell him close. Paul's doing the math. No, you are not within 20%. It's uh, $390,000. Uh, oh, yeah, of course that's not within 20%. Who would do that math? Hey, after I got the 20000 one wrong, I, just, <laughs> I wanted to be sure. Okay, all right. Give me all my points. Precious Parchment. When Michael Sparks was browsing at a thrift store in Nashville, twen- in Nashville Tennessee in 2006, he found what he assumed was a reproduction of the Declaration of Independence. The oh, copy... we're going national treasure on this. Okay, my man. <laughs> the copy seemed incredibly well done, so he purchased it for $2.48. After doing a bit of research, Sparks discovered that he had no ordinary copy of the historic document. It was, in fact, one of the 200 official copies commissioned by John Quincy Adams in 1820, and only the 36 ever discovered. Wow. Sparks sold the parchment for a price that should help in his personal pursuit of happiness. How much? Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. That joke wasn't worth keeping in there. <laughs> uh, $600,000. Um, you are not within the 20%. It was $477,000. Really? Just that much? Yeah. 
damn, I feel like Americans are crazy about their constitution. <laughs> Adrian's like, I'd pick one up tomorrow if I wanted to. That's not a big deal at all. <laughs> no, I gotta go find one. Ooh, Adrian, this is something you're uh, actually a certified ex- expert on evaluating the price of and the quality of. So I'll okay. even let you see a picture. Okay. Oh, it's a teapot. Just how much would you pay for that teapot is one of the it's things. the landscape picture of a teapot where not all of it is in frame, not your ordinary teapot. I would guess about $806,000. Oh, shit. I left that in frame. You piece of shit. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't see it. I didn't see it. I, I promise. I promise you. But I did not see it. <laughs> you piece of shit. <laughs> this is like when I play cards with Dora Lee and she gets mad for me pointing out the fact that everyone can see her cards because she holds them out so that everyone can see them. And uh, she's like, well, I, just don't look. Just don't look then. It's like, I didn't, rea- I didn't realize they put a blurb at the picture that had the price in it. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, good job, Adrian. You've proved the game wrong. You proved that I was an expert. In that That's way. a minus one point for cheating. You're back at two points. But let me tell you the story behind this one. A bargain hunter who picked up a teapot for $20 at an online auction was shocked to find that it was no run-of-the-mill piece of porcelain. What the buyer had was one of the first pieces of porcelain created in America. It was the work of British potter John Bartlam, who was a highly regarded artisan nearly 250 years ago. Though broken, the teapot sold at a 2018 auction for $806,000. Isn't that not far enough in the past that, like, if he was a potter, his name had to be Potter? Or were we past that? <laughs> That's so true, man. Uh, I think we were past that. <laughs> uh, okay, that makes sense. Because I wouldn't trust that. I don't trust like that. Terry Horton bought what she thought was a huge, ugly painting for $5 at a gag, as a gag gift to cheer up a friend in 1992. Though the friend found the thrift shop find hilarious, she had no room for it, so Horton took it back home. When she tried to unload it at a garage sale, an art teacher told her that she should check it out to make sure it wasn't a Jackson Pollock. Horton ultimate Horton, here's the who. Horton ultimately hired a forensic specialist who found a fingerprint from the famed splatter painter on the piece and traced the paint to his studio. Horton has been offered blank for the painting, but she wants blank. So I'll, how much has she been offered for it? Oh, what was our last value? Eight hundred and six thousand, which I got right on the money. She's been offered one point two million, but she wants one point five. Ooh, you are not within range. Uh, nine million, and she wants fifty million. God damn! What? Who gets greedy like that? Like, I, come on. That is insane. like nine. Like that's not life changing money, and it's like nah, nah. I don't get out of bed for less than fifty million now, dog. Yeah, you paid five dollars for it. Like, what a weird. Like, you're gonna die at some point. Sells an ugly painting that you thought was funny. Yeah. How ugly it was. Jesus Christ, God. And also, I totally get that. I am. I was gonna say this earlier, but I think I decided like, oh, we'd already moved past the conversation. I think Jackson Pollock really ugly paintings. I don't know, like. The whole argument about he did it first doesn't resonate with me. I like modern and abstract and weird art. I don't like his modern abstract weird art. That shit looks stupid. Yeah, I get that. At a garage, this is the last one. This is the highest value item for sale. Okay. At a garage sale in 2000, a Fresno, California house painter noticed images of Yosemite. Fresno on here twice. So we got South Carolina and NoCal representing, bro. Noticed images of Yosemite National Park on glass plates of old photo negatives. After some negotiations, what was that? Uh, was that Billy the Kid that was in Fresno? 
Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. If you're in Fresno, buy yourself some old photographs. That's yeah, just buy, buy some fucking photographs. Uh, after negotiating, uh, Rick bought the lot for $45. He had a hunch the images were by the iconic nature photographer Ansel Adams. So mm-hmm. asked some, so he asked some experts. They told him he was right and that his fine may have been worth. I've heard the name Ansel Adams multiple times. I never knew that's what he was famous for. I'm going to guess his work is worth $200 million. You are right on the money, Adrian. Yeah, am I really? Yeah. That's, but, Two points. Uh, sure. You've got five points of the 20 potential points. <laughs> but the Ansel Adams Publishing Trust disagreed and sued him for selling prints made from what he referred to as Adams Lost Negatives. The painter eventually had to stop using Adams as name. So, he didn't actually make the $200 million. I guess he sold a couple for some high value, but he didn't get to sell the whole collection. That would have been worth that much. Because they were saying that it wasn't authenticated, or what were they saying? Yeah, but they disagreed with the experts he had authenticated, and they sued him over their disagreement. And I guess they I mean, that's the- that's one of the things I was thinking about the whole time, is like, how, I mean, how much do we actually trust these authentications? I don't even know. Dude, watching, uh... Watching a lot of uh, Pawn Stars, that's what I think. Like, half the time they get an expert to come in there and they, like, look at something. They're like, I'm comfortable saying this is like this. Like, what does that mean? Could I break you some random bullshit that clearly wasn't real? And you're just, ha- as long as you say you're comfortable thinking that I get a piece of paper that says it's authenticated. Yeah, that, that is a that is a precarious market. It feels like it could definitely be run on lies. It's a house of cards. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, yeah, this shirt is single stitched, so it's probably worth sixty though. I like the idea that they can create value out of thin air by just being like, as an expert, I'm sure this is real, and it's like something that immediately goes from bullshit to incredibly expensive. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Did you learn anything from this quiz, Adrian? Did I learn anything? I should get more of my thrift shop funds uh, authenticated. Praised. <laughs> Yeah. Do you still have the the old man smoking opium with his uh old wife? He's in the kitchen. Send me a photo of that. Let's do a reverse image search and see if uh, if that's really right. like the long lost painting by I don't know. Picasso? Picasso. Big facts no cap. Let's get out of here. Yeah, let's get out of here. All right. Big fact. If you have to go thrift shopping, apparently do it in the Carolinas. No cap. If you want to go dumpster diving, Trader Joe's is a good place. I think they have like a locked door, but if you can get over their like little wooden fence they have, all of the bread, so they have like a bunch of fresh bread that only lasts a day. So at the end of the day, all that gets thrown out. Um, It's a bunch of salads, a bunch of fresh food. It's a good mix of things. Um, And they're very um, particular about getting their expired food out. So yeah, if you're going to be a freaking, uh, Trader Joe's is a pretty solid place. It's going to be very carb heavy, so I wouldn't recommend it in that sense, but if you're just looking for free food, not a bad place to go. I think donut shops are another one where people say are particularly good because they're very much like a very freshly made uh, business. Um, we really need to pass one of those laws they have in France where you have to sell off or donate all your food. And if you don't, you get fined the equivalent price of that food. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, it's one of those things where like the American argument is like, oh, well, what if they get sued for people eating the bad food or whatever? And it's like, that's ne- literally never happened. Yeah, no, it is definitely a fake argument made by businesses because they know they can maximize profit with certain immoral behavior. All right, cue up the ending song, Adrian. Why did you know?
You know I always wanted to be the best. You know I always wanted to be God. This is real talk. Slow B. Yeah. My new name is Face God. Ice cream paint job. Only come out in the dim lights. Vampire shouts out to AE. I'm riding in that sick so Move fast, stick slow. Think fast, talk slow. Dude, try to play me. Living with his bitch broke. Sorry for the guts, words. Fuck that. Curse mode, bruh. Did things. Should've been in the hearse mode. Round spin, rap shit. Get me something to live for. Hit him with the P9. Better make his ribs show. Rap game is too fake. Real niggas lay low. Word around town that you living with a halo. Bet I got killers putting cash on Halo. No Xbox shouts out to two, baby. Free two, baby. Free rock, bitch. Free rock, free rock, bitch. Free two, baby, bitch. Feel me? I think I'm gay cause I'm riding in my tidy pants But I'm the only goon nigga in these tidy pants Sending off shots, kick back, make your wrist jam Fully loaded thing on my arm like a wristband You don't want a space jam, you better off the vacate No, it's no template to touch this Six kiss, reckless Hands around your neck like a necklace Leave him screwed and chop, have him thinking he in Texas Nigga, sis, yeah